0: In 1887, uh, a group of English missionaries, eight men from England, were about to be commissioned uh, to go into Central Africa on a mission trip. They were going to, seeking to save the lost in Central Africa, and uh, they were going to be sent to preach the gospel. And before they left, they had one more meeting with uh, the committee that was sending them out. And uh, they stood before the committee, and all eight missionaries stood up to, to say a little something. Uh, mostly it was how excited they were to be going on this mission trip, uh, how big of a privilege it was to be going on this trip, uh, and, and how big of an impact this is going to have on God's kingdom. This is going to be great. Well, finally got to the last man, the youngest of them all. He was a 26-year-old man named Alexander. Alexander stood up and he said, Men of the committee, there's something that my fellow missionaries haven't said yet but I'd like to say it it is very likely that within the first six months of us going you are going to receive news that one of us has died the the likelihood that all eight of us English men go into Central Africa and come back out alive is very unlikely Uh, but when you get that news committee do not be downcast do not be upset simply send someone else to fill the vacant spot after the meeting was over, the men got sent out and they were left for Central Africa. And within just a few weeks, word came back. One of them had died. By the end of the first year, five out of the eight men died. And by the end of the second year, only Alexander was the remaining one alive out of the first eight sent. It's a pretty cre- incredible story, isn't it? And as I read that story this week, I put myself into these men's shoes and I began to ask myself, would I be willing to go? Would I be willing to go to Central Africa in 1887 to spread the gospel, to seek and to save the lost? And yes, my head would like to say yes, but then I started thinking, I wonder what kind of doctors they had in Central Africa in 1887. What kind of creepy crawly things did they have? Do they have... Big old snakes, little snakes. Uh, do they have big spiders? What What's that look like? Uh, what about the housing situation? Am I going to be in a tent on the ground? Uh, am I going to be in a house? What, what does this look like? Uh, they don't have electricity in 1887, and especially not in Central Africa, Africa so uh, that means that uh, I, I don't have air conditioning. And if... You were at the festival last night. You know that nothing felt better than getting back home into your A.C. Uh, Because there's no electricity, there's no uh, telephones, and that means that uh, I can't really communicate with my family back home. There's no Wi-Fi, no Internet, things like that. Uh, And what about running water? Am I going to be able to take at least a weekly shower? Because I know that after just a day, I get pretty ripe. And after last night at the festival, uh, also what felt really good was coming home and taking a cold shower. Uh, So after thinking about all this, I kind of came to the conclusion that I probably wouldn't. I kind of feel bad saying that, but I like my safety and my comfortability too much to go and do something like that. And those things are blessings. There's nothing wrong with liking those things, right? God has given us uh, running water, electricity, doctors, all these things. There's nothing wrong with liking those things. But today, Jesus is going to tell us a story. And the story is going to confront us a little bit uh, because it's going to let us know that maybe we like our safety and comfortability a little too much. You see... We want to be comfortable, we want to feel safe, we don't like to feel awkward, right? And so when it comes to seeking and saving the lost, we wish that my Jesus said, you're good if you stay with the group. Before we look at what Jesus said in the story, uh, let's first look at some background. Background. Uh, because the first two verses of Luke chapter 15 give us some background information as to uh, when this story was told and why. And so we're in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. All right, Who were these sinners? First of all, we hear the tax collectors. Uh, In the Jewish people's minds, tax collectors were arguably the worst sinners that they could ever imagine. Tax collectors were generally Jewish people working for the Roman government. Uh, And if there's one group of people that the Jewish people hate, it's the Romans. They are awful. We want our freedom from them, they said. And now our fellow man is working for the Roman government. They were traitors. On top of that, what the tax collectors would do is come and say, uh, you owe us 10000 for taxes. And then you would say, my taxes are only 6000 Why are you charging me 10000 Well, it's because the tax collector is going to pocket the extra 4000 And if you say, no, I'm only paying $6,000, they will go to the Roman soldiers, have the Roman soldiers come over, rough you up a little bit, until you pay the $4,000, you pay the four thousand. They give the Roman soldiers five hundred. Everyone's happy except for you. There's no way of avoiding it. They were thieves, and they were viewed as one of the, some of the worst sinners. The other sinners we're talking about uh, these would be your prostitutes and other outwardly sinful people, along with Jewish people who were only Jewish by name, Jews that didn't follow the ceremonial laws. Jews that only went to the temple twice a year. Uh, These would be people that we're talking about. And these are the people that Jesus is attracting. The other group of people we have up here is the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, were the moral, outwardly moral people. There was no one more holy, so to speak, than they. Uh, They created laws on top of God's laws and said, we're going to follow these so that we don't even come close to sinning. And so outwardly, you could not uh, accuse them of a sin because they just didn't even get close to sinning outwardly. Inwardly, they burned with lust and passions and uh, judgmental thoughts. They were just as big of sinners as everybody else. And they would not be caught dead talking to one of these sinners or tax collectors. They would not go and seek and save them. They would say, you want to hang out with us? You need to first change your ways. You need to shape up a little bit. You need to start following our laws. In other words, you need to find us if you want to hang out with us. And so they look at Jesus and they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And what they meant as a derogatory term is really... The greatest news that we could ever hear, right? He welcomes sinners. And that's what I am. That's what you are. That's what everyone is. And Jesus welcomes us. He is the friend of sinners. He doesn't make us wait until we change our lives around. He welcomes us and He changes our lives. And this is what He wanted the Pharisees to know. So he tells them this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on its shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. That's the way Jesus told the story. Here's how we wish he told it. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not remain with the ninety-nine in the open country where there's a nice sun for a good tan, where the stream is close for some swimming, where he can enjoy potlucks and meetings where we all know each other already and feel safe and protected? That's my fairy tale version, isn't it? If you think about it, that is what we want. Imagine being the shepherd. You've just found this beautiful pasture land full of grass. You've got this nice big shade tree right there, right next to a stream, so there's plenty of food and water for your sheep. Uh, There's plenty of shade so that you can sit out and get your tan, but then when you get a little hot, you can go cool off in the stream, get something to drink, and then hang out in the shade and be cool. Uh, It's safe there. And then you realize... What if the sheep is gone? I only have hundred. I only have 99 when I had 100. And then the excuses start to form. I just found this comfy place. I just found this beautiful pasture land. What if I leave and go find that lost one? I could run into robbers. I could run into a lion and a lion could eat me. Uh, I, who knows what could happen? I could get lost myself and die of starvation or thirst. What if I leave and these sheep get attacked? I better just stay with the sheep. And now just, I know sheep can't talk, and really they're not a very intelligent animal, but think from the sheep's perspective. We just got to this comfy place. We just got to this pasture land. It's safe here. It's comfortable. We like it here. That sheep wandered off on his own. Let him find us. The excuses easily start rolling off our minds, don't they? And that's really Pharisaical thinking, isn't it? Let them find us. And yet, we're guilty of this. We are. Maybe you just came from living a a sinful lifestyle. Uh, Maybe it's drugs, drinking, uh, maybe it's uh, addictions to porn. Uh, maybe it's cursing, swearing, uh, telling obscene jokes and thinking it's funny. That's the way you used to live. And then the Gospel touched your heart. And the Holy Spirit worked faith in your heart that Jesus is your Savior. And you found peace here at peace. And you like it here. It's comfortable. It's safe. These are the green pastures that you've been looking for. You're at peace here. You don't want to go back out there and associate with those kinds of people. You just left that life. It's nice here. Or maybe you view this as your green pastures where you're safe and comfortable and here is where you feel comfortable talking about Jesus. We like it here. We like to come worship here with others. We like to talk about Jesus here. But as soon as we walk through those doors for the rest of the week, Jesus doesn't leave our lips. And so we start looking around and and, and we say to ourselves, boy, how come we're not growing faster? How come more and more people aren't coming to to peace, to church? And then we realize, oh, I haven't invited a single person to church. I haven't told anyone about Jesus. And then when we finally do have a a, a first-time guest or family that's here... uh, (laughs) We're great, we're so thankful, we're happy, but we don't say hi to them. And when they don't show up the next week, do we make a mental note saying, hey, you know what, I should really reach out and make sure that they're okay. I wonder what they're up to. Peace, our church, is a fantastic blessing. It is a place that I want you to be comfortable at. It's a place that I want you to feel safe. It's a place where I want you to be able to uh, talk with fellow Christians and be transparent, open, and honest with what you're struggling with. But with every good thing, there's always a danger, isn't there? And the danger is to become exclusive. And it's shown in one of two ways. One, we wait for them to come to us. They have to know about it. They have to seek it instead of us seeking them. And two is we don't want to change for the lost. We're not willing to put our wants and desires aside for them. And as I mentioned earlier, that's how all these trivial uh, arguments happen in church, things that don't matter really all that much because this is our safe zone. This is our comfy zone. We don't want it to change and we will do anything To not let my green pastures change. And so we think up this Jesus that says, it's okay to stay safe with the group. But He doesn't. That's not what He says. Here's your point number two. The real Jesus says, go and search for the lost. Go and search for them. Let's go back now And take a look at how Jesus actually told this story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. This is actually a pretty crazy story. Uh, I'm not sure how many shepherds would actually do this. Because you've got 99 safe sheep and 99 sheep that you still have to look after, still have to care for, still have to feed, still have to make sure they're getting enough water. You're only missing one. Are you really going to leave the 99 to go after that one sheep? And that's Jesus' point, isn't it? He's not happy just having a group with him, because that's not his point. He loves each individual sheep. He knows each sheep personally. He knows everything about it. And when one wanders off, his heart hurts, and he knows it's scared. He knows it's in danger, and he can't let it go. And so he goes and he searches for it. And he wants us to go with him. So here's the question. How do I get a heart that wants to seek the lost? How do I get and maintain a heart uh, that is willing to sacrifice my wants and desires for the lost? How do I get a heart that is strong enough and, and has the courage enough to go out of my comfort zone and talk about Jesus to others? The answer is that we remember that we once were that lost sheep and at times we still are, right? Maybe at one point in your life, uh, you were lost and you were only concerned about one thing, Maybe it was, uh, you were only concerned about having a good time. Maybe all that you were concerned about w- was getting favor from others, winning their favor, winning their approval. And that's all that you could think about is winning these people's approval and you were willing to do anything, even sacrifice your relationship with God as long as you had the approval of others. Maybe one day you woke up and you had this revelation, I'm lost. You don't know how it happened. You don't know how you got here. Life just started happening and and, and one day you woke up and realized, I haven't been to church in, I can't remember when. I haven't opened my Bible in years. How did I get here? I didn't intend for this to happen. But here I am lost. Where do I begin to look? Where do I go? Maybe for others... You come to church every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, you hear that it's by Jesus' perfect life and innocent death, that your salvation is complete. You don't have to do a thing. And yet, somehow, some way, you got lost and you began to rely on your moral performance for your security and for your salvation, despite hearing every single Sunday that it's through Jesus. Even now, as we're sitting here, we are tempted to wander off from the group and do our own thing, right? Even now, we are tempted, as we're walking with the group this way, we're tempted to see that sin over there, and we think, I can just step off over here for a second and catch up with the group. But the thing about sin is it entangles and it traps. And sin traps us. And when we finally get released from it, we are lost. But Jesus, our shepherd, knows that we have been gone. He knows that we are lost, and He searches for us. You talk about safety and comfortability. You feel safe and comfortable here? Imagine Jesus, God Himself, uh, in the safety and comfortability of heaven. And yet He didn't stay safe and comfortable. Instead, what did He do? He became uncomfortable. And he fit into the womb of a woman. God himself in the womb of a woman. He left the safety and comfortability of heaven and was born into an unsanitary barn placed in a feeding trough that cows ate out of. He was born into a violent world in a mission to seek and to save you. And on his mission, he ended up facing danger, and He was killed, crucified on the cross so that all of your sins would be forgiven, so that He would save you. And He continues to search for you. He continues to seek you. Now, He doesn't do it by Himself, coming to your door, knocking on it and saying, "Uh, hey, it's me, Jesus. No. Uh, He does it through pastors and Christians, right? Right? who, who when, when you start going your own way, reach out to you and say, Hey, remember Jesus? And they lead you to repentance and, and announce to you that your sins are forgiven through Jesus. Uh, it's through Christians who come and knock on your door and invite you to church. Uh, it, he sends Christians who talk to you at social events and have a spiritual conversation with you. This is the shepherd reaching out to you, seeking you, and bringing you back into the fold where you have peace because you know that your sins are forgiven, heaven is yours. They bring you back into the green pastures of heaven where that God-sized hole in your heart is filled and you are satisfied. They bring you back into the fold, into the green pastures, into your Savior's arms where you know that you are safe, that the devil is, Hell and any tragedy that Earth could throw at you has no power over you, because you are safe in the arms of your shepherd. This is what you know. This is the peace that you have, and this is the peace you want others to have. because you know that there are people out there who live in every day, who live every day in fear, fear of what's going to happen, because they don't know. They live every day satisfying that God-sized hole in their heart with things that could never satisfy. And you want them to have that peace that you have. So where do we start? Well, you don't have to go knocking on doors uh, to do this. You start with your family, friends, co-workers. Uh, you have people in your life every single day that, doesn't, that don't know Jesus. And that are living in fear. And, and as you, you go to do this, uh, you don't even have to lead with, hey, let me tell you about a guy named Jesus. No. In fact, I would say do the opposite. Start by listening. Listen. Because everyone has problems, right? Everyone have pro- has problems that are weighing on their heart. And eventually, the more you listen, people are going to tell you their problems. Because we like to talk about our problems. And when they tell you what is on their heart and what's really bothering them, you can lead them to the green pastures of Jesus where their heart is satisfied. And when you do, and when you lead them to Jesus, here's your last point. Rejoice when the lost have been found. Here's how Jesus finishes this story. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There is rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. Last week, a story went out from a church in Florida. A 19-year-old woman went missing. She was believed to be with a man that she had met on Facebook and they could not find her. disappeared from her home. And uh, so the search was out. They were going to find this lost woman. Uh, And after a week's search, they finally found her. She made her way up to New York with this guy. And uh, they were in the process of bringing her home over the weekend. Can you imagine the relief that the family and the congregation felt, all her friends? Can you imagine that as she got home, all the rejoicing that was taking place, that she was found? We have more reason to celebrate. More reason to rejoice than those people. Why? Because when a sinner is... When a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. This isn't just earthly danger that we're talking about. This is spiritual danger. And the angels rejoice in heaven when the lost have been found. And so what does that mean for you? That means that every time you repent... Every time you confess your sins and you repent of them and you rely on Jesus as your Savior, there's rejoicing in heaven. The angels are are celebrating. And so celebrate when your kids say they're sorry. Rejoice when they repent because there's rejoicing going on in heaven. It seems kind of odd, I know, but make a big deal about that. It's a big deal. Make a big deal about it when your friends or family or someone that you invited to church, make a big deal and rejoice and tell them how excited they are when they come to church. Because it's a big deal. It's a big first step. It's a scary first step. But it's a big one. So rejoice with them. It is very scary and very uncomfortable to leave our safety zone to leave our comfort zone, right? It's incredibly scary. And yet we can't help it. We've got to. Because the peace that our shepherd gives us is the best peace that we could ever have. And we want others to have it as well. And so we pray that, that Jesus give us the strength, the motivation, and the courage to go out and to seek and to save the lost. And so let's close this morning uh, asking His blessing on that. We pray. Dear Lord Jesus, our Good Shepherd, we thank You for coming to seek and to save us. We ask You to give us the strength, the courage, and the motivation to go out of our comfort zone to seek and to save the lost. We ask You to bless our efforts to this end. Amen.